Good morning. If you don't mind, grab a Bible, and uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 this morning, looking at verses 36 through 41. The title of the message this morning is um, Good Christians Have Conflict Too. Good Christians Have Conflict Too. And so um, just, just to catch you up, we've been going through the, the book of Acts verse by verse, right? Isn't, haven't we? Yes? All right. So we've been going through the book of Acts verse by verse. Last week, last week, we did Acts 15, this very historic church council where they were coming together and figuring out what to do about people who were trying to add to the gospel at Antioch. Anyways, so now this week, we're finishing up chapter 15, and we're going to see a conflict, a conflict between Christians. Now, just to give you the context and kind of remind you, again, I said we've been in Acts 15, but in verse 35, we're left with this closing picture of what's going on in this church at Antioch, which is in Syria. Paul and Barnabas are there, and they are teaching. And they are preaching and they are doing ministry. And then the curtain sort of closes. And so we pick up in verse 36 and we see what happens next. But just about these two guys, Paul and Barnabas, real quickly, just to catch you up, Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. His name was Joseph, but the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And he, in Acts chapter 4, sold a property that he had, like an investment property or something, like an Airbnb or something. He sold it, and he gave all the proceeds to the early Christian church and said, here, use this for the kingdom. And he's, he's this great example in Acts chapter 4 of generosity and of encouragement. That's Barnabas. In Acts chapter 11, it says of Barnabas that he was, it literally says he was a good man. The Bible doesn't say that about that many people. He was a good man. It says, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So that's Barnabas. Now, Paul, just a reminder about Paul. Paul was a former persecutor of the church. And he was dramatically converted on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And you might remember this is Paul. He was, Jesus told him, you are my chosen instrument to take my name before the Gentiles. Paul was an apostle and he was the author of 13 of the books of the New Testament. So here we have Barnabas and we have Paul. These two major Christian leaders in the early church. Now, that's them separately. What about them together? In Acts 9, it's Barnabas who vouches for Paul and brings Paul before the leaders of Jerusalem and says, no, he's good now. He's on the good team now. It's Barnabas who does that in Acts 9. Together, Barnabas in in Acts 11, he goes and gets Paul in his hometown of Tarsus, brings him to Antioch thinking, we need this guy here. So this is them together. They brought an offering from Antioch to Jerusalem when there was a famine. They did that together. 
They went, listen, here's the thing, just to wrap your mind around. These were the first two Christian missionaries. The first missionary journey that we see in Acts 13 and 14, it was Paul and Barnabas. And it wasn't their idea. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas and send them. And we saw them go together. They saw all kinds of you know, results and fruit and they were persecuted. Paul was stoned and left for dead and Barnabas and Paul were mistaken for Greek deities and all these events happened. They've been through so much together. They were literally the first Christian missionaries and these great partners. Here's the thing to know. Paul and Barnabas effectively did ministry together for over 10 years. So that prepares us for the verses this morning that we're going to see. I um, am not promoting this television show at all. But there is a television show called The Bachelor. And it's also got The Bachelorette. And it's not a good show. But it's been going for like over 20 years. And twenty over 20 seasons. And here's the thing. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes... You might just get bored and curious, and you might just look up and see, I wonder how many of the couples that meet on The Bachelor are still together. Just because just you're bored and you're curious, and you can do things like that on the internet, right? Um, and you would find not many. And would you be shocked? Would you be? No, you wouldn't be, right? You're like, well, no, of course. You would be shocked if they were. And actually, there are some, and, you're, and it would be shocking there, too. But why? Because it's fake. Like, they're meeting on TV. Like, it's so, like, raunchy. Like, it's just not a thing that's built to last. And so you aren't surprised when you see, oh, yeah, 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 they're done. Yeah. But it's really surprising when these major Christian leaders, Paul and Barnabas, have a conflict and can't do ministry together anymore. That is surprising. And it should be surprising. It shouldn't be surprising that there's conflict because conflict is a part of the Christian life. It really is. And we're not to be surprised when it happens, even to good Christians or between good Christians. But it is surprising and disappointing when it happens. And so this morning's passage, I want to read it to you. I think the intention of it from Luke to the early church and to us is that we gain perspective and that we gain encouragement as we face life in the church with fallen, sinful people just like us. That we gain perspective and encouragement. It's not a passage with tips for conflict. But we can gain great perspective and encouragement. So let me read to you this passage. We've set it up. Acts 15, 36 through 41. Most people, when they say Acts 15, they're talking about the council, which is the verses before. This is in Acts 15 too, and it's really important. Verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. What a great idea, right? What could go wrong? Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him 
John called Mark. What? What's wrong with that? We'll talk about it. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Bow with me. God, we thank you this morning for your word, and we pray, Lord, that that we would get out of this time in the word what you desire for us, God, that we would get perspective, that we would get encouragement on relationships that we have in our lives. Lord, we thank you that the greatest conflict is not between us and people, but it's between us and you, and you've made a way for us through the grace of God, through the cross, to be reconciled with you, to go from enemies to sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the ultimate missionary and peacemaker. We trust that you will lead us to be better in these things too. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so you saw it. You saw the passage, and you understand why the message is good Christians have conflict too. You know, the, the New Testament is honest. You know, we already saw in the book of Acts where Ananias and Sapphira were hypocritical in their giving, and the Lord <laughs> struck them dead. Like, it's like honest. The Bible is not glossing over the things that went wrong in the early church, and, and that gives us some comfort that it's transparent and authentic. So here's the first point this morning, and it's from verse 36, and it's just we're going to look in verse 36 at Paul's plan. So what was Paul's plan? Because they had an argument, a debate, a conflict. Paul's plan, Barnabas' plan, and then we're going to look at Jesus' sovereign plan. So what was Paul's plan? Paul's plan was to encourage churches, verse 36. Paul wanted to go encourage these churches. So so quickly, look at verse 36 again. It says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. All right. So let's just take some things away from this first. Um, So you see what Paul's plan is, right? His plan is to go encourage churches. He wants to go encourage Christians. Who does he want to do it with? Barnabas. He says, let's. He's talking to Barnabas. That's his plan. His plan is not just general. It's specific. He wants Barnabas to go with them. The the churches that we establish. One thing I think we can just, you know, take away from this is just we see the example of Paul initiating. Initiating. You know, actually, I've heard it said before that the person who says let's is the person who's leading. The person who says, hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do this. Initiation is a big part of leadership. A good definition for leadership that I've always loved is taking initiative for the benefit of others. 
It's hard to lead when you're passive, when you're always just reacting to what other people are saying. Let's do this. Let's do this. And so I just think it's kind of a side thing, but it's something we see here. Paul, the spirit stirring in Paul, he's a Christian. He's a follower of Jesus. And he's like, hey, let's, let's go encourage some Christians. It's great. He says, we want to see how they are. You see, it says, Let's go see how they are. What do you think about that? That's what they're doing. They are going to go do the ministry of checking in on people. That's it. I think it's actually really important that we pause and see that there is some ministry in the New Testament and in the book of Acts that's not pioneering, trailblazing, going to the most irreligious, pagan people in the world, and that's the only thing that counts. Like, no. Paul's like, let's go to the people who are already Christians and let's encourage them. Let's just see how they're doing. Let's just go strengthen them. That's ministry. I think sometimes we need to remember that. We need to remember the importance of just seeking to strengthen a brother or sister in Christ. So, Paul has this idea. Let's go do this. Now, if you've been studying and acts with this so far, you know that the places he's talking about going back to are places where they were chased out of town in almost every single city. Paul was stoned and left for dead in one of these cities. And he's like, hey, let's go back there. Let's go back there again. It's interesting how Luke shows us, us Christians, how in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God is stirring in the people of God to go away from comfort and do hard things. Let's go back where we were persecuted and check on those Christians there. How is the Spirit stirring in you to do hard things? So Paul wanted to go with Barnabas. Paul's plan was not to go with Silas. That's what ultimately will happen. So Paul had his plan. Now Barnabas reacts to his plan, and so that's the second point, and it is Barnabas' plan. But again, Paul's plan is to go encourage Christians, to encourage these churches. Barnabas' plan, do you see it? Is to encourage Mark. Barnabas' plan is to encourage Mark. And that's not a knock on Barnabas. Great, awesome guy. The Bible really doesn't say much negative about Barnabas. There's a few things. But Barnabas' plan is to encourage Mark. So look at verse 37. It says, now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. And you might say, what do you mean encourage Mark? You just said, I want to bring this guy. Like, what? Well, you got to remember the bigger context. Barnabas is trying to give Mark a second chance. The son of encouragement. The encourager. The person who, who, who vouched for Paul to the apostles is now trying to vouch for John Mark. It's all right. Let's give him another chance. Let's bring him along. Here, let me tell you who this guy John called Mark is. A few things about him. He wrote the gospel of Mark. All right, so... We're just like dealing with Paul and Barnabas and Mark. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. He also wrote 
the song How He Loves Us with the original Sloppy Wet Kiss lyric. John Mark, that's who this is. So we already know the problem. Okay, so um, his mom was a lady named Mary, and, and she, the Jerusalem church, met at her house. When Peter was released from prison and he went to the door and knocked and they thought he was a ghost and they didn't let him in, that story is at John Mark's mom's house. There's no mention of his dad, so it would lead us to infer that perhaps his father had passed away, he had a single parent, a mom who was wealthy, who owned a home that the church met there. Okay. Now, Peter calls Mark his son in 1 Peter 5. Now, I think it definitely just referring to him being a son in the faith. So Peter maybe led him to the Lord. Maybe Peter also discipled him. Peter was in Jerusalem. And so, so here's John Mark. His mom is wealthy, owns the home that the church started meeting in. Peter maybe led him to the Lord, discipled him. He was, the Bible tells us in Colossians 4, verse 10, the cousin of Barnabas. He was the cousin of Barnabas. Hmm. So, so Barnabas, the encourager, the son of encouragement, the guy wants to give John Mark a second chance because here's what happened. John Mark was with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And let me just show you verse 38 real quick. Let's take a peek ahead at verse 38. Because Barnabas says, hey, let's bring John Mark. And Paul, it says, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. All right? So, so again, on that first missionary journey that we studied, it's in Acts 13 to 14, they went to this place called Pamphylia. That's a region. It's actually the southern coast of modern-day Turkey. I'll show you a map of this missionary journey. So they get there from Cyprus, and they're about to go up into this area and share the gospel with all these people who have never heard the gospel before. And the theory is that Paul was very sick because they didn't do a lot of ministry in Perga and in Pamphylia. And, and they needed to get to a higher altitude because he had malaria. This is the whole theory. But either way, we know that they would have had to go through the Taurus mountain range. And for some reason, and we don't know exactly why, we just know it bothered Paul a lot. John Mark in Pamphylia said, you know what, guys, I'm tapping out. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And he didn't go with them. So he wasn't there for everything that they went through. He wasn't there when Paul got stoned. He wasn't there when they were chased out of all of these cities. He was in Jerusalem. Who knows why? We don't really know. We can just speculate that he went back to something more comfortable. You can imagine every time something happens on the first missionary journey, Paul's like, John Mark. <laughs> you know? I mean, man... So, so Barnabas' plan is, let's give John Mark another chance. Let's encourage Mark. So Paul's plan is, let's encourage churches. Barnabas 
is focused not on the big picture, but on the singular person. And that always happens, right, with conflict. One person's focused on the mission. The other person's focused on the relationships. One person's focused on the whole, on the all. Another person's focused on the one. And we, you know, we have our bent one way or the other. You might argue for Barnabas, you know, Jesus left the 99 for the one, you know, Barnabas. And then, you know, or maybe you argue more over here. You're like, well, Paul said you got to be tested to be a leader. And Barnabas, you know, doesn't get that John Mark failed this test. And so he's not qualified to go. It's like you can go all into it. But anyways, Barnabas' plan kind of seems smaller. It's like he's trying to get his cousin a second chance. And I think there are a few lessons just quickly on this second point that I want to push toward us. One is, I think we should be careful about subjecting our community or our family or even our church to our personality unchecked or to our pet project. I've been guilty of this, for sure, to the point of it hindering progress, for sure. I think we got to be careful. I think Luke is painting a picture and showing us how that's detrimental. Barnabas seems to be doing that. Another lesson is this. It's probably not a good idea to go into difficult ministry to fix ourselves. That's kind of like, like, like Barnabas is like, hey, sounds good. Operation John Mark Second Chance. Paul's like, no, that, that's, that's not what we're doing. We're going for them. We've got to be whole. We're going for them. We're going to minister to them. And of course, that's to be taken with with balance, right? Like we all are constantly in need of ourselves being sort of grown and served and filled up. And so it's not like anyone goes whole and perfect into serving. But we ought not to pursue ministry to fix us. That's not healthy. Another lesson I think we can take away from this little clash of Paul and Barnabas' plans is that quitting when something is hard blows up trust. It just does. We don't need a Bible verse to prove that. We all have our own experiences in life. So, you have Paul's plan, encourage churches. Barnabas' plan, Encourage Mark. Now, what is God doing? What is God doing in this? And what is Luke really showing us in this? And that leads to our third point, which is Jesus' sovereign plan. Jesus' sovereign plan. And when I say sovereignty, just know that what I mean is the lordship of Jesus 
that he's the king, that he's the ruler. You know, he is risen from the grave. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when we say sovereign, we mean the rule and control over all things. Psalm 115 says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. This applies to Jesus. He is sovereign. So what is the sovereign Lord's plan with this situation. You know, Romans 8, 28 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. There's an Old Testament sort of similar verse. Joseph, of course, endures great evil from his brothers. They later need his help because of a famine, and they come to Egypt where Joseph has become a high-ranking official, and he reveals, it's me, it's your brother that you guys sold into slavery, and they are like, man, he's going to kill us. And Joseph says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, you see, it's like zooming out and taking this perspective of the sovereignty of Jesus in these situations is so helpful. It gives us such hope and perspective on conflict. So 38 through 41, I want to look at and unpack Jesus' sovereign plan. So just want to go through it. Verse 38 But Paul, again, we read this, thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. The word here, withdrawn, literally, it's it's two words together. It's the preposition away from and the word standing firm. So John, Mark, when they were in Pamphylia, whatever standing firm with them looked like, he said, I'm moving away from that. That's what it is. He withdrew. He went away from them. And so Paul's like, I don't think it's best to bring him. He didn't go with us to the work. And it says in verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement. The word in the Greek is paroxumos. It's a piercing. It's the same word that Paul, when he's in Athens, it says that he's pierced within his spirit when he sees all the worship to these false gods. It is this word provoked. It's in Hebrews 10 when it says to spur one another on to love and good works. It's literally to stab someone. It's, they had a sharp disagreement. So Luke is saying they, they, they like, they really got upset with each other. That's what he's saying. They dug their heels in. They, this was, here's the point. Good Christians have conflict too. That's the point. These are good Christians. I told you all the great things about Paul and Barnabas and about them together. They had this sharp disagreement. And look, do you see? It says they, verse 39, separated from one another. You know, we talk sometimes about the one another's in Scripture. Here's here's another one. (laughs) Separated from one another. 
They had a sharp disagreement and they separated from one another. And it says, um, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. That's where Barnabas is from. So he went home with Mark. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right. I want to give you quickly, as we consider Jesus' sovereign plan, four quick like subpoints under that that we see here. And the first one is Jesus' sovereign plan is to prioritize his, his church, his will, his kingdom above all. All right? To prioritize his church above all. So, so I'll just, you know, tell you what I think. I, I really believe that Paul was more correct here in this dispute. Some people say, well, we really don't know who was right, who was wrong. The point is that good Christians have conflict. And that definitely is the point. But I think the way Luke portrays the account shows that at least Luke thought Paul was a little more correct, at least in what the plan should be. Maybe Paul's tone was not very helpful. I don't know. But, you know, like Paul was an apostle, so he kind of had the authority. So maybe Barnabas should have just said, all right, you know, I'm just going to follow. I'm going to follow the leadership that you're giving. Um, Luke portrays Paul and Silas in the verses at the end here as having been sort of affirmed, they get commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers at the church at Antioch. And so there's kind of this like prayer time and send off. Barnabas and John Mark just sort of like sneak out the back door to Cyprus. That's really what you see, right? I mean, that's how Luke portrays it. And we don't really hear much else from Barnabas in all of Acts or even the New Testament. Just a little bit, not much. So he's kind of like written out of the show a little bit. So I think we can take from that that yeah, maybe like Paul's idea was a little firmer and stronger and maybe more in line with God's priorities. But here's the thing. Paul wanted to go with Barnabas. That was his plan A. And he didn't get that. Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark. And he didn't get what he wanted at all. Neither of them got their way. Here's why I say that. God overrules their sharp disagreement. Because the mission going forward is more important than either of them getting their plan A. Does that make sense? The glory of Christ and the health of the bride of Christ is of much greater concern and a much higher priority to the Holy Spirit than the personal preferences of Paul and Barnabas. And we're not going to pause the entire kingdom of God in the, the spreading of the gospel in the early church to spend several chapters with them working this out. No, God overrules it and splits them up. Because the priority is the church above all. So that's the first point in Jesus' sovereign plan is for us to kind of like 
realize just how like our preferences and even some of our conflicts are like here and like what God is doing and, and making sure that we're encouraging what he is doing and being part of it is a much more weighty thing. Number two, Jesus' sovereign plan is to normalize, not hide conflict. To normalize, not hide conflict. That's why the title is good Christians like Paul and Barnabas, like the best Christians, have conflict too. Have conflict too. When I was in seminary, I took a counseling class. And uh, they require like all the people that are studying to be pastors to take one counseling class at this seminary. And it's funny because none of them want to take that class. And the counseling professor was talking about like, you know, how he does premarital counseling. And he was sort of trying to encourage all the people in the class to do it his way. And he said that his big strategy in uh, premarital counseling is his goal is to make this engaged couple get into a fight. That's what he told us. And so he's like, what I do usually for premarital counseling is I just like play some board games and I just sort of try to pick a fight between them because I want to see how they work through the conflict. So anyways, this one guy in the class that we were in, one of the guys studying to be a pastor, he was like, had this huge problem with it. Like he's like, Dr. Mayor, I stand against your strategy. You know, he's like, it's so wrong. Like, and he got into this like big argument with the professor. It was really kind of like, you just kind of sit there and watch and eat some popcorn. And like, um, he's like, because I think your premise is completely faulty. Like my wife and I, we do not ever have conflict. And I'm telling you, this guy is not a pastor and is divorced now. Um, I'm friends with him. And I'm telling you, like, it's really actually unhelpful to take that view. And what Jesus' sovereign plan here, I think, in even giving us this passage is to normalize, not hide conflict. To sort of say, no, it happens. It's not if, it's how, and it's how we deal with it. And there's really an apologetic here for the truthfulness of Scripture, that God's Word does not gloss over or hide ugly things, but puts it right there. So for anyone who says, I don't trust the Bible because man has changed it so many times, you can show them this and say, well, then why didn't man change this? And so it's hopeful and healthy that it's here. A couple of verses just as we think about conflict being normalized. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So think about that verse. It's it's telling you it's not possible all the time. And we have to live in that world, and it's hard. I don't want to have, like, conflict with people that's, like, bubbling up all the time. Do you? No, I hate it. I want to go resolve it. I want to do everything. And it's like, if possible... So far as it depends on you, you do what you can do. But you can't control them. Live peaceably with all. That's a very helpful verse. For living in a broken and fallen world where conflict is normal. Hebrews 12, 14 is another helpful verse. Strive for peace with everyone. 
So strive for it. Like, you should be trying to have peace. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. And so as we live in this world where conflict's normal, even between good Christians, if we're going to live in that world, we've got to be people who guard our hearts against bitterness. That plan that, you, that, that a Christian has of like, I'm going to just be okay with being bitter, that plan, that plan is not in the Bible. It's not there. It's sin. We're to guard against the root of bitterness that it might defile many. And so I think it's really healthy and really important to constantly be fighting against this as we have conflict with people. I know I do, and I'm not perfect, but I'm telling you, I have like lists in my journal of people that I've maybe had conflict with, maybe never resolved it, and I actively pray for them. Because I know it's even more important to pray for them, perhaps, because I need to be, and that's the next verse, 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And so I really think it's healthy. People you have conflict with, God, pray for them. God, would you bless them? God, would you bless them? Would you, would you help them out, Lord? Would you show your blessing to them? Because if we're not doing that, our hearts can get bitter. Jesus' sovereign plan, one and two, now three, to redeem conflict and double impact. So sometimes this is Jesus' sovereign plan. You know, it's interesting, because that's what we see happen here. Because ultimately, Barnabas is going to keep doing ministry, and John Mark, we'll see that in a moment. But now we've gone from having two guys on mission to four guys on mission in two separate teams. That's what happens here. People often say things, and you've heard this before, right? I know you've heard this, maybe you've said it. You know, the thing that I don't like about the church is all the denominations. You ever said that? You ever thought it? You ever heard it? So, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Let's consider that for a moment. Because right here, is, like the, is this like the beginning of two denominations? I don't know. We can affirm this sentiment. Conflict is part of the fall. We're not like pumped about it. But, and the church should be markedly better than the world when it comes to displaying unity and resolving conflict. However, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The mere existence of different denominations or of people going in separate directions does not prove anything. It does not prove that Christianity is a bunch of factious haters. That, that in and of itself does not prove that. Think about it. Use your mind. Sometimes it's actually more wise and fruitful to have two pairs of missionaries than one pair. Even if what caused this initially was a disagreement, that's fine, so long as they don't go on hating and demonizing each other. Do you see? The existence of Baptists and Presbyterians is not terrible. It would be terrible if they all absolutely hated and demonized each other, but 99.9% of the time, that's not happening. We're all the same team with different points of emphasis and focus. And 
So what Jesus does here in his sovereign plan is he redeems this conflict and doubles the impact for the gospel. It's amazing. It's amazing. Jesus' sovereign plan, lastly, number four, to restore people and relationships. To restore people and relationships. And so with conflict, often we have to give it time, right? We have to give it time. And we have to guard our hearts against bitterness, right? And we have to bless and not curse people. And we have to understand the importance that God places on unity. And we have to strive for peace insofar as it's up to us. But we have to give it time, too. We have to be patient. We can't demand that all things be just and right and the new heavens and the new earth come now. That's going to come later. We're still in a fallen world. And so we have to give it time because God is working a plan sovereignly to restore people and relationships. Five years later, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul will reference Barnabas as his co-worker. Five years later, just five years later, he'll be writing to the Corinthians and he'll say, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living, he's like, look, Barnabas and I, we're partners. They worked it out. And they're both doing ministry. But even greater than that, and this is a really big verse, write it next to that Acts 15 passage in your Bible. 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. 15 years later, Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, Luke by the way, who wrote Acts, alone is with me. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Jesus' sovereign plan to restore people and to restore relationships, given time, guarding our hearts against bitterness, trusting that God is sovereign, that he's at work. This is what the Lord is doing. So good Christians have conflict too. Again, not a bunch of tips today, but perspective and encouragement. Paul's plan, Barnabas' plan, Jesus' sovereign plan. And I'll just close with this this passage, Philippians 2. Because in Philippians 2, Paul, who had this conflict, right, is writing to a church where there was conflict. And he says this, watch. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, that's Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul is saying, like like God resolved the enmity and conflict between us and him through humility, through sacrifice, 
dying on the cross. And the argument Paul's making here is from the greater to the lesser. He's saying if he can, and he's so great, can't we? And because he did, we can. That's what Paul said. Let's pray. Good Christians have conflict too.